0: You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks.
1: And I'm Emily Ashenfelter. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's January 27th.
0: Discussions about Russia's war in Ukraine are increasingly focused on how the conflict might end. In a new paper, RAND experts identify ways the war could evolve, as well as the potential effects on U.S. interests. Our researchers argue that the U.S. has a strong interest in avoiding a drawn-out war in Ukraine. And while it's the policies of Ukraine and Russia that will largely determine the trajectory of the war, the U.S. can take steps to make a negotiated resolution between the two parties more likely. For instance, Washington could clarify plans for future aid to Ukraine. If a clear long-term plan were adopted with credible delivery schedules and clear capability implications, it could make Russia more pessimistic about the future of its own campaign. And if the U.S. decided to condition future aid on a Ukrainian commitment to negotiations, then it could address a primary source of Kyiv's optimism that may be prolonging the war a belief that Western aid will continue indefinitely or grow in quality and quantity. The U.S. could also make commitments to Ukraine's security, which might affect Ukraine's decision-making about ending the war. Or it could offer Russia a pathway to partial sanctions relief in order to make negotiations more likely. Taking steps such as these may be key to pushing Russia and Ukraine toward peace talks. The alternative, our researchers write, is, quote, a long war that poses major challenges for the United States, Ukraine, and the rest of the world.
1: There are more than 40,000 gun deaths in the U.S. every year. That's more than 120 people killed by guns every day. As the tragedies mount, the science is increasingly clear. Some restrictive gun laws appear to reduce firearm violence, and other, more permissive gun laws make firearm violence worse. For example, a new RAND analysis shows that shall-issue concealed carry laws increase gun violence. These policies, which remove law enforcement discretion in issuing concealed carry permits, became the law nationwide after a Supreme Court decision in June. Our findings suggest that this ruling could lead to higher firearm homicide rates in states that are now required to adopt shall-issue concealed carry laws, like New York and California, which until this year had lower-than-average firearm homicide and suicide rates than other states. And what about laws that might reduce gun violence? Our analysis found supportive evidence, the highest level of evidence in our study, That child access prevention laws reduce firearm homicides and self-injuries among youths. We've also found moderate evidence, our second highest level of evidence, that requiring background checks for all firearm transactions, not just those involving a licensed dealer, reduce total homicides. And that mandatory waiting periods reduce homicides and firearm suicides. No single policy or law is going to solve America's gun violence problem. And many policy areas of interest recently, such as bans on ghost guns, bans on guns in playgrounds and polling places, and laws allowing teachers and other school personnel to carry firearms, have no strong evidence base yet in the scientific literature. However, persuasive scientific evidence is accumulating for several commonly implemented laws where the science is strong our experts say lawmakers would be wise to consider it when making decisions about how to protect public safety while preserving civil liberties as always you can find much more on this topic from the Rand Gun Policy in America initiative at rand.org/gunpolicy
0: At least 17 states have passed policies restricting how teachers can address topics related to race, gender, and other so-called divisive concepts in the classroom. A New Rand survey asked teachers about the kinds of limitations they experienced, and how those limitations might affect teacher working conditions and student learning. Here's an overview of the findings. About one-quarter of teachers reported that limitations placed on how they can address topics related to race or gender have influenced their choice of curriculum materials or instructional practices. Overall, teachers believe that these limitations negatively affect their working conditions. Teachers are also concerned about how the restrictions may influence their ability to engage students in learning and support students' critical thinking and empathy-building skills. Notably, while classroom limitations often stem from authorities such as states and districts, teachers most commonly pointed to parents and families as sources of limitations on their instruction. One respondent candidly summarized the feeling of walking on eggshells that so many teachers are experiencing. Quote, "...I feel more vulnerable approaching these topics now than I ever have in my entire tenure career teaching high school." I don't know how much longer I can continue to teach under these constraints. What could be done to address this issue and better support America's teachers? To start, state and district leaders could collaborate with teachers when crafting policies and guidance related to the classroom. They could also provide teachers with more guidance and resources to help them address contentious topics in the classroom. And finally, efforts to engage families in productive conversations about race and gender could also help to support both teachers and students.
1: America's policy of strategic ambiguity toward Taiwan may no longer be the best approach. In fact, strategic ambiguity may be doing more harm than good. That's according to Rand's Raymond Kuo. Strategic ambiguity seems to have snared the U.S. and Taiwan in a prisoner's dilemma, he says. Washington wants increased defense spending and Taiwan's military plan implemented before it makes further unspecified commitments. And Taiwan, which spends a larger proportion of its budget on defense than even the U.S., wants to receive the American commitment on which its military plan depends before it goes further in implementing that plan. The U.S. and Taiwanese strategies hinge on one another, and each side is stuck waiting while China continues modernizing its military. Further, strategic ambiguity is largely irrelevant to whether China decides to attack Taiwan. Beijing already assumes the U.S. would intervene, and it is American and allied power, not ambiguity about using that power, that deters China. Kuo says, quote, For proponents, strategic ambiguity may have become an end unto itself, one that has not, and logically cannot, adapt to the disruptive growth in Beijing's military power. The conditions under which it worked seem to have evaporated with China's rise. Washington could consider pivoting to a policy of strategic clarity instead, he says
0: apprehensions of migrants at the U.S. southwestern border totaled nearly 2.4 million for the last fiscal year. Large numbers of migrants can lead to crowded schools, strained emergency health care systems, and a housing crunch. Some American cities have been overwhelmed, prompting governors in several border states to send migrants to other parts of the country, often with little coordination. This is not the ideal solution, say RAND experts. However, relocation policies can address migrant surges if conducted, quote, in a more organized, humane, and thoughtful way, instead of as political theater. So, how might relocation policies be done right? Our researchers point out that while there are certainly some host communities across the U.S. that are overwhelmed with more newcomers than they can handle, other states and communities appear ready to accept migrants. At the same time, key sectors of the American economy are facing a worker shortage, and some have called for a state-based visa system. Developing a strategy to relocate southwest border migrants among these more willing states and host communities that need workers could be useful and have many downstream benefits, but only if it's done in a deliberate, coordinated, and humane way. Other countries have put this approach into practice. For example, Colombia gave refugees from Venezuela temporary protection status, which included the right to work to support themselves. The EU has also experimented with coordinating location policies for migrants with labor market needs. If states choose to focus on providing pragmatic solutions such as these, then it could lead to conditions for migration that stand to benefit everyone.
1: Rand is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on today's episode, check the show notes at rand.org/podcast. We'll see you next week.